Welcome to Unveiling Organizational Culture, the podcast where we've delved deep into the inner workings of the Toledo Museum of Art and other organizations to explore how culture shapes success, employee engagement, and overall performance. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer McCary, and in each episode, we'll be joined by a TMA team member, board member, or other industry experts and leaders to gain insights into the different facets of organizational culture. In today's episode, we will explore the cultural differences that exist from place to place. We'll also discuss non-fungible tokens known as NFTs and how artificial intelligence could potentially shift the art landscape. To shed light on this topic, we've invited the first artist out of Africa to work in the NFT space and digital artist in residence at TMA, Osanachi. Welcome, Osanachi. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Of course. So before we dive into our topic, could you please tell our listeners more about who you are, including a bit about your professional journey and something that you're comfortable sharing about yourself personally? Mm. Thank you. Um, my name is Osinachi. Um, I'm based in Lagos, Nigeria. I'm a digital artist. I've been making um, digital art um, for over 17 years now on Microsoft Word. And um, six years, about six years ago, I got into the NFT space. Uh, what we know today as the NFT space, then it was called Art on the Blockchain. And um, it felt like the natural space for me to uh, thrive, you know, um, being someone who makes um, digital art. Uh, my journey has always been, um, my journey has been like, um, it's been about me looking for um, opportunities in the early days, you know, as, as an artist, trying to express myself and trying to get um, traditional arts institutions, galleries specifically to, um, you know, take on my work and show my work. And of course, there were issues around digital arts, you know, uh, proof of scarcity, proof of ownership, um, proof of authenticity and, and the rest of them. And these are things that um, the blockchain um, sort of offered um, answers to uh, making digital arts valuable. And so my story in the art industry is, is more like um, being at the right place at the right time. Right. Um, getting into the NFT space, you know, being able to reach collectors, um, through the help of the blockchain, being able to, um, also make an entry into the traditional art space, right? Um, collaborated with 154 Art Fair with Christie's, Bonhams. I've had my work shown, um, at, um, different art fairs. Uh, I've collaborated with various galleries. Um, I have my work in the Buffalo AKG Arts Museum. And right here in Toledo, I'm collaborating with the Toledo Museum of Art in a pioneering digital artist and residence uh, program, which also ties into my work of uh, bridging the Web3 space or the NFT space and the traditional art space. And um, I guess that's the fun fact um, about me. Maybe the second fun fact would be that those who know me know that I don't like to drive with my shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about driving with your shoes on? Don't you like? I think I want to have that connection with the car, right? And so I take ah. off my shoe to be able to do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, it gives me better control. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. 
So, you know, I like to always have guests define organizational culture. So let's start with your definition of organizational culture. How would you describe it? And what are its key components? Mm. Well, organizational culture, I think it's more like um, it's sort of, um, I would define it as uh, a pattern through which um uh, power responsibility flows, you know, in the, in the organization down to the last level of an organization. When you come into an organization, of course, you have the main person there who is heading the organization, could be the chairman, could be the CEO, could be the director. Um, and then the director sort of pushes down the responsibilities and, um, sort of hands out to every other person below them their responsibilities and all of this um, uh, flowing down and funneling down and handing down of responsibilities have to do with um, actually uh, um, actualizing the, the objectives of, of an organization. Um, that's the way I see it. My academic background is library and information science and um, I was privileged to work in an academic library, um, having the university librarian at the top of that and uh, being privileged to also be close to her, uh, seeing how she worked during her tenure. Um, that, that was what I um, observed in terms of how I see that term. Thank you. So, you know, we met several months ago. You were just mm. arriving um, to the States for the first time. And now that you've had several months immersed in American culture, what would you say are some of the major differences between the U.S. and home? Mm. Let's see. Aside from the time zone and the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's um, back home. We always see the U.S. as um, the Eldorado, right? I remember um, growing up, and being told by elderly ones that in America you don't you don't basically own a car, you drive a car, you park your car, you leave it open, someone else who needs the car comes and drives the same car, goes where they're going, leaves the car there, someone else, you know, all of that, mm-hmm. those myths. And um of course growing up and becoming an adult, I realized they they weren't true. But mm-hmm. uh, come, come, coming down here, um, America is um, a land of opportunities, and that's the way it's always been seen. It's where you can flourish when you put in um, when you put in the work. The food is different here, obviously. Um, I keep telling people that Nigerians are notorious for traveling to a country and then looking for Nigerian food in that very country. You know, they are hardly open to trying out new foods and 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 oh but here um i've had the privilege of um exploring american food and i can tell you that there are some of them that i like thanks to people who have made recommendations and you know all of that but then america it's very large to the point that and that was i was surprised shocked almost by how large this country is Mm. Um, in terms of you go from one place to another place and there's a sharp contrast in terms of the people's uh, behavior, the, the way the people relate with you, in terms of the food, also in terms of whether we're talking about traffic or we're talking about just general living. Uh, I've been to New York, I've been to uh, Los Angeles, uh, right? I've been to Buddha and all of these places have their own uniqueness. I've 
of course, I'm in Toledo, and all of them have their own uniqueness. The sharp contrast is 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 visible. I've been someone who always sort of consume um, American culture through um, pop culture, through entertainment. So there was wasn't really much of a shock, right, in terms of what I was um, expecting. Uh, but then there are really um, differences, uh, like I said, in terms of food and people's behavior, um, the way people drive on the road and all of that. <laughs> Lagos, Lagos uh, especially, is, um, it's like New York, right? And um, Toledo, it's like Enugu in the eastern part of Nigeria, where I studied. And Los Angeles is like, um, say, um, another state in Nigeria. And so these are the similarities that I've seen between the mm-hmm. countries and the differences also. Thanks for that. There, it is always crazy to me how different it is from place to place. I enjoy people watching and observing how things differ. Mm. So let's bring it back to TMA. So the mission is to integrate art into the lives of people. Why do you think this is important? Mm. Well, art, art is important because um, I think that art serves as um, as a vehicle, you know, that um, carries our humanness, um, carries um, our, our humanness as a people. And what I mean by that is that, uh, like we we're just talking about going from place to place, when you go from one country to another, you are most likely going to meet a different culture, going to meet a new culture. Mm-hmm. And within that culture, you have stories within the culture. And sometimes these stories are different from the stories you know from your own culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are also similarities, right? And arts, visual arts specifically, captures all of these stories. Um, it, 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 art shows us where we are similar as human beings, as a people. It shows us where we are different as a people. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is not showing those differences to sort of create a gap, you know, between the way we relate with each other. But it, it serves as a way to bond us, um, as a people bring us, uh, bring us together. That is why I think art is uh, really um, important. Uh, it starts that um, from country to country, when there's a need to uh, cut funding, um, art and music suffer, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. first of all. But then, really, this is why art is important um, in this world, is that it tells our stories as, as human beings. And by telling these stories, uh, bring people together. I love that. Those stories are so important. And I agree with you, traveling from country to country, place to place, we do often get a sense of the differences and the similarities, but art has Mm. always been something that helps us understand the narratives better. Um, I think that traveling is one of the most humbling experiences you can have. Uh, but in a lot of ways, interpreting art, the interpretation of art can humble you too, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I love it. Uh, uh, one, one good example that I like to give is in 2021 when I did my first collaboration with Christie's mm-hmm. uh, at 154 Arts Fair in London, Somerset House, London. And I have this, I had these five artworks showing at Somerset House, uh, a series called Different Shades of Water. 
The listeners can check it out online. Different shades of what are inspired by David Hockney. And I had, um, in these works, I had, um, uh, a, a black man posing in or by the pool. And that was just what this different works about was about. So it was about recreation in this age where we are talking about, um, um, work, 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 right? And, uh, people of color, especially black people who came into this, um, exhibit saw these artworks and they were blown away. And here I was telling them about recreation, you know, within their whole idea about work, work, work. And they say, yeah, but then these are beautiful works and striking works to look at coming from their own experience as black people, mm-hmm. where most black people don't know how to swim because of the history of racism and racial segregation, especially in public pools, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that brought a new perspective, you know, to this series that I made. And it sort of gave me an insight into how arts can, you know, connect. Absolutely. It's interesting that that's where you went because that's where my mind went when you first started telling the story was more so the Mm. history and association. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I'm going to make sure I look for that piece too. Yeah. So many organizations struggle with adapting their culture to the changing times. How can leaders ensure that the culture remains relevant and adaptable in today's fast paced world? Mm. Well, um, I believe that uh, one of the primary things that um, leaders should have is um, vision. A leader should be visionary, right? And when you are able to demonstrate vision, then you have sort of you have sort of um, arrived halfway to trying to convince people who are under you. Uh, that this is the right way to go in terms of adopting something like new technology or adapting to a new thing um, altogether. So really, where um, you have a visionary leader, it, I, I think that um, it becomes easier to to get this thing done, which is convincing people to follow you on this on this path that you are leading um, leading the the organization. It's not um, an easy thing to do from my own experience, you know, um, having been someone who led a research group when I was, uh, while I was working at the University of Nigeria as an academic librarian, um, even down to when I was in school and being the class representative and, and all of that is, is, it's not easy doing all of that. But, um, I believe that, um, w- with vision, you get to arrive at your destination. Um, you are able to convince people following to to go with you, and that's that that that's also something that I've noticed in um in TMA where you have a visionary leader like Levine, who um is not just young but also um is charismatic and you know um has a way to um has a way of making his point, you know, telling you why this is necessary for the mm-hmm. work um, that is that is being done. So, yeah, um, I can't really speak entirely about leadership, but this is um, what, what, what I think. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So what I know you can speak entirely about is yourself as a digital artist. Tell our listeners <laughs> more about what that means. How do you create artworks and what is the creative process like for you? 
Mm. Well, um, well, the creative process is, um, I think we're back to vision, but not in the context of leadership. Uh, first of all, I, I get a vision of the work that I want to make and I get someone to pose for me. And when I say vision, sometimes I have to work in my head for three months, for four months, for five months, digesting everything that I want it to be. And then when I think it's time to get to work, I get someone to pose for me. Most of the people who pose for me are my friends and acquaintances. I'm a bit shy, you know, when it comes to going out there and asking someone to pose for me. So I usually um, use my friends and um, acquaintances. And sometimes I pose for myself. Um, once I have that, I have, um, I have that as a reference image, the picture that I've taken and I get to work on Microsoft Word on my laptop, um, using the reference image to start, uh, the painting, uh, Microsoft Word, adding things that are not there in the reference image, adding elements that I think would make the work what it should be. And, um, at the end of the day, the work becomes as it wants to be. Um, working on a piece could take as much as, um, five days to also take as little as, say, three days. And I'm not talking about 24 hours in one day, right? Um, I usually start working, um, at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. And when I can help it, I stop working at, say, 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. But when I can't help it, it takes me to, as late as uh, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., sometimes my partner ha has to come in and call me to come out and even have breakfast or have lunch or eat something or stop working, right? And that is the power of, of work for me, you know, enjoying what I do, playing music while I make this work and trying to make the work as it is, while on the other hand, the work is also is also making me. And once that is done, I believe the work is ready, always as a JPEG or a PNG. Those are the five formats because I'm working digitally. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to put the work on the blockchain, I go ahead and do that. And I guess it's ready to be collected uh, by who, whomever is um, interested in the work. Uh, that's basically my process in a nutshell. It's so fascinating. I was blown away when I first learned that you create using Microsoft Word. It's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so NFTs are still fairly new to people. Can you share why you chose to use NFTs to sell your work? Mm. Well, I, I talked earlier about um, the difficulty I had in trying to, you know, be accepted in the traditional art space mm -hmm. as a digital artist. Um, and of course, these galleries told me, yeah, your work is beautiful. We love your work, but they are digital. And of course, what they were making reference to were, you know, the issues around digital art. If a collector came into the gallery and wanted to buy a work that is digital, you know, what's, what is the proof of authenticity? What is the proof? Where is yeah. the proof of, um, you know, ownership and, um, so many other things, you know. Um, and so it, it was the blockchain that actually came and gave answers to this. And by doing that, it sort of empowered digital artists across the world. And that is why I just entered the NFT space naturally six years ago. For me, it felt like a space where I had a chance to make something out of my work beyond just posting my work on Instagram and getting positive comments and likes, you know, from, from people. I, 
I, I, I say to myself, if I could make um, $1 from each work that I've made, then that would be something for me as an artist. I would think to myself that I'm, I'm onto something. But then um, it turned out uh, to be something even bigger than what I had dreamed about or envisioned, you know, when I entered the space. Um, I'm, I'm surprised at how big things have gotten. I'm surprised by how far my work has gone. Um, I was at a conference the other day that had to do with so many things, not just art. And um, someone came to me and they said they love my work and this person doesn't work in the art space, right? And this was in uh, Los Angeles of all places. And I had to, you know, at that point, um, understand that um, it, it, it's really gotten huge. It's, it's, it's bigger than what I thought it was going to be a few years back in terms of um, my career, in terms of where I wanted my work to be. And I'm super grateful for that. That's amazing. You know, with so many changes in the art landscape, what role do you believe leaders play in helping their staff and others embrace change, specifically as it relates to new technology? Mm. Well, um, it's, it's difficult for people sometimes to accept change, right? I believe that in trying to get people to accept change and you believe in something as a leader, then you should, uh, demonstrate to your followers, right? The need for, for, for this. You should make a point for this, for, for whatever you're advocating within the context of the work that you're doing. And for example, in art and art history, we've seen different technologies come and we've seen pushbacks and um, we've seen uh, that at some point the pushbacks uh, stopped because uh, people started to understand what that technology could do within the context of art and um, and art history. An example is photography, you know, when people, was, uh, when photography emerged, and people were like, oh, painting is dead. No, painting didn't die. When also um, institutions like museums started taking photography seriously and bringing them into their collection, um, I would imagine that at that time, some people were like, why are you doing this? It feels like you are messing up what it means to be an art institution. Mm-hmm. But um, a few years down the line, photography, is I don't think there's any museum in the world without um, a collection of, of, of photographs, uh, right? So photography has found this place. And that is where we are now with NFTs as a technology within mm-hmm. um, the context of art, right? So there's a bit of pushback. There are people who aren't so optimistic, uh, open to the idea of NFTs. And I love it that in my work, I'm able to demonstrate why this is important within the context of art and, and, and art history. Um, I, I think in some ways it makes me a leader, right? <laughs> but then coming to the main idea of um, a leader, uh, it is actually to demonstrate and convince that that is the best you can do. The best um, way to convince people is to demonstrate and give them an example from the past and um, tell them, that this is where you are at this moment, but this is where you should be going because this is why you should be going there. And if if you are able to convince six people out of 10, then you've uh, certainly done your job well. 
And somewhere down the line, the remaining four will fall in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six yeah. out of 10 is pretty good. So, yes. So, you just started to kind of touch on this, but we've pretty much all seen an example of AI generated art. And this has raised the question around the role of human artists in the creation process. Do you believe that AI generated art has a space in museums? And if so, what might that be? Mm. I, I, I believe so. I believe so because um, we have um, in the, in, in the NFT space, there are, of course, different artists who are working in different ways. And there are, of course, those who might call AI artists or people who program AI to, to make art. Some of these artworks are generative artworks and, and the likes of them. And I believe that, yes, just as I said, within the context of art history, that um, art made by AI has a place in the museum, for example, has a place in art galleries, has a place in private collections and, 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 and so on. If not for the aesthetics of these artworks, if not only for the aesthetics of these artworks being made by AI, but for their significance within in art history within the context of art, because that is what museums are there for as art institutions, right? It is to capture what is happening when that thing is happening so that a few years or a few decades down the line, people who are existing, say, three decades away from now will be able to have things or elements with which they can look back at the time when this thing was emerging, for example, AI, and say, yeah, this work, for example, was made by AI uh, 30 years ago or 40 years ago, and we still have work being made by AI in this time and age. Now, let's see the difference between these to help us understand how AI started making art, how people started programming AI to make art, and how these artworks found its way into the museum. So museums serve as custodians of art and culture, Right. And in that sense, certainly I don't see the reason why there shouldn't be artworks made by AI in the collection of museums, at least for the purpose of capturing this thing that is happening in the history of art. Mm. Thank you. So I want to go back to TMA's mission. We were talking earlier about the mission uh, being to integrate art into the lives of people. Mm. Uh, What are some ways you believe we can measure how we live out our mission. Hmm. Let's see now. How do you how do you measure that? I guess um in the um, traditional way of it, uh, maybe food traffic, um, how many people come into the museum every every day the museum is open or at the end of a month or at the end of uh, a particular quarter and all of that. But aside aside from that, I would say um, it is the way you can measure that through the way people engage with the museum and the museum's uh, programs, how, how much people are able to give their time in terms of, you know, enjoying what the museum has, has, has put out there and how much conversations museum programs also generate or uh, encourage within the, within the community. It's, it's like, uh, I've met so many people uh, since I came to Toledo and about 90% of them have told me that um, uh, growing up, the museum was a central part of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 that's 
to me, shows a kind of success also in terms of what TMA is, is trying to do. Now, within the context of this residency, I would say that if we get uh, people in Toledo who are not just members of the museum, right, to start talking about NFTs and what NFTs mean mm-hmm. for arts in this time and age, then it would be seen as success, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you, if you ask me, because at least it is bringing about a kind of orientation. It is bringing about a kind of education, you know, and that is success for me. Yeah. That's a great measurable outcome. Yeah. So reflecting on your own experience, can you share an example of a time in your career when you helped to transform a culture and how you encourage people to embrace change? Let's see. I've had a number of collaborations. Well, I guess that looking back now, uh, most of the collaborations I've done, especially with those in traditional art space, it's all about encouraging people or getting people to accept change, you know, and the change we're talking about is that um, NFTs have a place in the context of art, contemporary art. Right. Um, I've done this collaboration with 154 Arts Fair. Like I said, I've had my work shown at Art Basel, also shown at Basel, Miami. I've had my work in different, um, I've collaborated with, um, a Nigerian music producer who is legendary. His name is Don Jazzy, you know, to drop a collection of, um, NFTs, uh, demonstrating how NFTs can also help in terms of if you are a recording artist, you know, a musician, then this is what you can do with NFTs. That, that was basically what I was trying to uh, demonstrate through that collaboration. So I've had quite a number, a number of them. But I would say the biggest for me was the collaboration with Christie's in 2021, uh, which was the first time they sold NFTs in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Europe being as conservative as it is, I had people coming to the Somerset House, seeing these artworks and asking questions about these artworks. And I enjoyed having conversations with these people because most of them confessed that they didn't know that NFTs could be like this or could be these artworks they are looking at. What they've always seen in the media at the time or been told about, you know, when it comes to what NFTs are, uh, where the collectibles that we hear about, like crypto punks or crypto kitties, maybeats uh, and punks and the rest of them. Uh, so, um, seeing those artworks for them really changed their, uh, their understanding of, um, NFTs in a, in a positive way. For me, um, that's a, that's a big win. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Osanachi, for sharing your valuable insights on art and culture. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners? Mm, I would say um, to our listeners, um, digital art made uh, with authenticity, you know, has um, a valid place, you know, um, amongst um, other forms of Art, whether you're talking about traditional paintings or performance art and the rest of them. And NFTs serve as a technological tool to bring value to digital art. I mean, there's aesthetic value. Aside from the aesthetic value, the blockchain has sort of created even more value, added more value to digital art 
and NFTs as a technology sort of captures that and has helped artists like myself make something out of what we are doing. I do art full-time, right? And I enjoy it and I love that people love what I'm making, you know. I'm not just um, creating art for use by corporate organizations who will pay me a token and then the next day I would go hungry, but I'm making the kind of art that I want to make and people are appreciating, you know, what, what I am making. So you need to understand that that is where we are at now in art history. And this is basically history in the making. So uh, go out there, explore the works of other digital artists in the, in the NFT space. If you're a collector, collect. Um, if you're someone who likes to talk about art, find your favorite art, find your favorite artist talk about them to other people within your circle. And that is the way you become a part of art history. That is the way you become a part of the conversation. I love that. Such such great advice um, or thoughts that you just shared. And, you know, your career has been incredible so far. And I can't wait to see where you continue to go because you will absolutely be in the history books when people are learning about art. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. So that's all for today's episode of Unveiling Organizational Culture. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and gained valuable insights into the world of organizational culture. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Don't forget to share this with your colleagues. For more resources and updates, visit our SharePoint site. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, be well.